You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at BethanyNaz.org. I remember eating lunch with a pastor friend one day, and he said to me, he said, I've been uh, visiting with my father um, a lot lately. He's in the nursing home. He has dementia. Uh, I don't even know that he knows I'm there, and I don't think that he knows who I am, but I still feel this great need and this great desire to spend time with him. And so I go to the nursing home, and mostly when I'm there, I just sit by his bed. Uh, I feel like I want to continue to do that. He said, about two years ago when my mother died, we sold their house and we disposed of all their stuff. And um, since then, it's just been my dad in the nursing home. He said, so Rick, last week I was sitting in a chair beside his bed. And as I'm sitting there, I look over and I see this closet. It's about 18 inches wide. It doesn't have a door on it. It's got a bar to hang clothes on and it's got a shelf above the bar and it's got a floor in it. And I look into that closet and there are on hangers a couple of pairs of trousers and a couple of shirts and a jacket and maybe a sweater. And then laying on the floor of the closet, there's one pair of shoes. And then on the shelf, there's a couple of items like cologne, stuff like that. And so I'm sitting there in the chair and I look into this closet that's 18 inches wide and I realize that every earthly possession my father owns is in that closet. Every possession that my father has in the whole world is in that 18-inch closet. And it's not full. He said, my mom and dad were successful. My mom was a great manager. My, My dad did well with money making money. And so they always had nice house and they had nice cars and they were able to have nice things. And and here he is in the last years of his life. And everything in the world that my dad owns, every possession that he owns is in an 18 inch closet. You understand it, I'm pretty sure, but I'm going to say it to make sure it's really clear that If a person lives their life and their life is all about possessions and money. So if a person lives their life from that perspective that it's all about what I have and the money that I have. You understand when that person dies, they have nothing. If a person lives their life and it's all about what they possess and the money that they have. You understand that when that person dies, they have nothing. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Bible says, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when you came into this world, you did not bring anything. And when you leave, you will not take anything out when you go. And so Jesus says this, and this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Jesus says, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. A person's life is not about what they possess. A person's life is not composed of their worldly possessions and money. Life has to be about more than possessions. And so why do we sometimes live as if Jesus never said that and it's not true? Why do we sometimes live as if life is about what we possess? So let me, let me take you to those words that Jesus spoke. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, and I'm going to start with verse 13, okay? Luke, 
chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. So if you want to open a Bible, you might, you might want to leave it open laying in your lap through the sermon, okay? Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Let me, let me read these words to you. So here's what's happening. If you go to verse 1, it says that there were thousands of people in the crowd that day when Jesus is speaking. So you understand his popularity is growing, and now there's not hundreds, but there's thousands of people. Luke says there were so many people in verse 1 that they were trampling over each other. Everywhere I step, I'm stepping on somebody. There are thousands of people here. And Jesus begins teaching first to his disciples. And then when you get to verse 13, somebody in the crowd yells out to Jesus. And here's what he says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, that's kind of interesting that somebody would just scream out of the crowd those words. And so Jesus replies, Man, who appointed me to be judge or arbiter between you? And then he said to them, meaning the whole crowd, thousands, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. You ready for the story? Always lean forward. I like a good story, don't you? The, the, the ground of a certain rich man, do you know any rich people? Have you ever been around a rich man? What's it like to be rich? Or what's it like to be around rich people? Okay, so the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And so he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to store all of my crops. And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. So why don't you take life easy? Eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says, this is how it is. Or this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So we're in this series called, called Clear the Stage. Kaylin, you want to come and give me a hand real quick? Do you mind? I asked her before if she would do this. All I want you to do, honey, is I want you to read some scripture, okay? And I've underlined the verse, and it's really just this right over here. Am I right? It's really just this, this last verse right here, okay? Let me get a microphone for you. It starts with the word for, okay? For the love. Okay, let me get you a microphone. Uh, just hang on. Can you hold that? And, just one second, if you will, right where you are there, if you will just um, hold that for me. Do you mind? Okay, thank you. You like movies? Sure. We do too. Can you just, there's a movie. You guys play games at your house, like we and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Okay, just take that. And then this is, uh, you like Sonic? Yeah. Uh, we do too. There's a gift card. In fact, I'm giving you the gift card for helping me today, okay? So just read that verse for me real quick. Just... 
Where's the lemon? Hang, hang on just a second. Just let me hold this for you. Let me put this back in here and let me take this. I'll take the bowl. Okay. I'll hold on to this, okay? Now, how's that? Is that better? Yeah. Okay, read it for me. For the love of many is the root of all kinds of evil. Very, very good. Thank you so much. And here's your gift for helping me there, okay? Thank you. Nothing bad about basketball. Um, in fact, uh, it was a great week for basketball, wasn't it? And, um, and nothing wrong with watching a movie or playing, playing a game, right? It, it's just that what the series is about is simply this, that when I've got so much going on in my life, it's hard for me to focus on God's Word or on Jesus as He journeys toward the cross during the season of Lent. And so it's not that any of that stuff is bad. It's just that it's about clearing the stage. And so what if my life begin to look more like this stage and I begin to reduce clutter in my life and I begin to get to the point where that I didn't have so much going on that during the season of Lent, as we think about Jesus making his way to the cross, we were able to focus more on Jesus because we just weren't juggling so much in life. And so that's what the whole thing is about. I'm wondering this morning if somebody would say, I see all those distractions that can get in our way and keep us from focusing. Pastor Rick... You're talking about money this morning. If you want to know what my biggest distraction is, it is probably money. In fact, someone might be saying, you've been challenging us to think about what is at the center of our lives. And if I was going to be honest with myself and talk about what is at the very center of my life, somebody here this morning may be saying, I'm afraid that money may be at the center of my life. It may have center stage for me. So let me just... Push a pause button again every week almost. I feel a need to do this and to say to you that money is not bad in itself. It is not wrong. It is not dirty. It is not evil or any of those things. But what Caitlin just shared with us is the skinny, the lowdown about money. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but it's the love of money. It's when, it's when money takes center stage of my life and I love money so much. That's the lowdown on money. And so what if I moved it over and I put Jesus at the center of my life? So here, here we are looking in on the Gospel of Luke, and there, there are all these people, thousands of people have come to hear Jesus. Luke says they were trampling over one another. Everywhere I step, I step on somebody. Thousands of people have come to hear Jesus speak. And he speaks to his disciples, and then there's this guy in the crowd who kind of yells out, hey, I need a little help out here with my brother. People who speculate and try to study and understand and come up with the best guess about Scripture, because that really is what this is, is a guess, they, they assumed that in, in, in that day there was a custom that the older brother would get two parts and all the other brothers would get one part of the inheritance when the father died. So if there's three brothers, you divide it into four parts, the older brother gets two parts and the other brothers get one part. If there's only two brothers, the older brother gets two parts and the younger brother gets one part. And because of Jesus' response, the assumption is that he was saying, why do we have this stupid custom? Why can't I just get half of what my father had? Can't we just do it that way? It wasn't uncommon, though, for somebody to come to a rabbi and say, would you help us settle this dispute? Would you be the judge between us? And Jesus says, I'm not going to be your judge. But 
Jesus realized there's a real opportunity here to talk about greed. And he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You know what greed is? Greed is the desire for more. Greed is this overwhelming desire for more than I need. Greed is always saying a little more. Do you know how much money most of us would like to make? Just a little bit more, right? If I could make just a little bit more, then life would be much better. Just a little bit more. That's how much I need to make. How much do you want to make? Well, if I can make just a little bit more. Greed always says more. And here's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes about greed. A person who loves money will never have enough. They're always going to need just a little bit more. Okay, here's a little bit more. Is that good? Nope, I'm going to need just a little bit more. Okay, here's some more. Is that okay? No, I'm just going to need a little bit more. I just always need more. That's, that's what greed is. And so, so Jesus, Jesus makes this great statement that a man's life is not about what he possesses. There's more than that. Let me tell you a story, he says. There was a man, a rich man. You know any rich people? You ever been around a rich person? You hang out with rich folks? What's it like to be rich? There was this, there was this rich man. And he has a field and it produces a great crop. Bumper crop. What am I going to do, he says, with all of this crop that I'm bringing and all this grain? I don't have barns to store it in. And then he says, I know what I'll do. I'll just tear down my barns and I'll build some bigger barns. And then I will say, I've got plenty of grain for many years. I will just take life easy. I'll step back. I'll eat. I'll drink. I'll be merry. Life's good. We had this little cousin. Well, he used to be little. He's grown up. His name's Tate. And Tate, Tate always kind of had a mind that seemed to, uh, I don't know, he seemed to get it. And so when Tate was in first grade... Several years ago, his teacher gave his class an assignment, and the assignment was this. Draw or write what you will be doing in a hundred years from now. And so, you know, for a child, a hundred years is like, well, that's a long time from now. And so kids were writing and drawing things like, I'm going to be a pro basketball player, or drawing pictures of a NASCAR, I'm going to be a NASCAR driver. You know what Tate wrote across the top of his page? D-E-A-D, dead. (laughs) And then he draws a grave and a tombstone and he writes, here lies Tate. (laughs) And so at the teacher conference, the teacher says to his mother, Tate got it. He was only kidding class. It said, I'm going to be dead. That's it. I'm gone, you know. Hey, Annette and I jumped in our car uh, this week and we took off to see my dad in Kentucky. We had to go. We just felt like we had to go. Because my dad is calling and saying, do you know that on April 3rd, I'm going to be 80 years old? So my dad turned 80 on Thursday, and we just said, we got to go be with my dad for his birthday. And so we're at the party, and it's a lot of fun, and my dad's loving it. I mean, he is, he is so happy. And all of his kids and all of his grandkids, or a lot of his grandkids were there. Um, and so my dad is just having a great time. And I said to my brother, I said, man, if your father is 80 years old, there is no way you are very young yourself. And he said, man, I hear that. 
It was one of those moments when I began to think about my own mortality. You know what I remember? I remember when Christmas was at my grandma Harvey's house. And then she died. You know where we started having Christmas? At my mom and dad's house. At one point, Christmas is going to be at my house. It doesn't go forever. A lot of young people in this room, and so if I talk to you about your future in regard to money, what are you going to say to me? What, what's your future look like in regard to money? And a lot of you are saying, well, I'm in tech school or I'm in college, and I'm, and I'm learning, and I'm, and I'm growing, and I'm going to develop this trade, and then I'm going to, you know, in regard to money, my future is I'm going to get a job. I'm going to make some for the first time in my life. So what are you going to do after that? You're making money. Well, I'm probably going to think family. You know, that's why we think. You're going to save money? Well, eventually I want to save money. I mean, I hope I start saving money right away for retirement because I'm not going to work forever. At some point I'm going to retire. So in regard to money, what happens after you retire? Well, I enjoy my money. And then what? I guess I die. Well, then what? I guess that depends on what I believed and thought about money and everything else in life and what was at the center of my life. You know what God says to this man in the parable? You fool. Now, you know, if your brother or sister gets mad at you and calls you a fool, that is not good. They should not do that. Or if somebody you don't know calls you a fool, um, that's not good. But you may not be a fool just because somebody calls you a fool. But if God calls you a fool, chances are really good. You are a fool. (laughs) And so God calls this guy a fool. The Greek word is uh, aphron. It means without reason or without intelligence, without wisdom. To be foolish or to be stupid. And God says... You're stupid. Because tonight, you're going to die. Look me in the eyes, buddy. Who's going to get all your stuff? And then Jesus says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I I think our temptation when we hear passages of Scripture like this is to say, this is good. Because some people need to hear this. Rich people. I mean, I I think the rich people need to hear this because they can get messed up, people who are rich can. And whenever we think about rich people, we always think about people who are richer than us. We, we, we never turn and look back over our shoulders to people who didn't eat three meals yesterday and look at us as rich people, right? We always look at those people who are rich. They have a lot more than I have. You think I'm rich? I'm not rich. I'll show you somebody who's rich. Come with me. This guy is rich. But we never look back over our shoulders and we see a person who has a dirt floor in their home and they didn't sleep on a bed last night. And they look at us and think, wow, you guys are rich. Well, I, I don't want to be rich. I don't want you to think I'm rich because if you think I'm rich, then maybe I should share some. 
In light of the world standards, if you ride in a car, if you sleep on a mattress, if you ate all you wanted to eat yesterday, you are very, 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 very rich. And so everybody in the room is rich. What's it like being rich? What's it like sleeping on a mattress? What's it like having hot water to come out of the shower nozzle? So what's it like to ride in a car somewhere? What's it like to not go to bed hungry? What's it like being rich? Do you get used to it? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a confession to you. Uh, my mother says it's good for the soul. I say it is good for the soul, but not so good for the reputation. I've admitted to myself and to a few close friends this week that I'm messed up when it comes to money. I would refer to myself as a work in progress. God is trying to teach me. He's trying to get my attention. He's tapping me on the shoulder. He's banging me on the head. He's doing everything he can do. And sometimes I I make progress. Sometimes I don't. The, the, The reason I believe that is because every time, every time, every time I go to a third world country... I come home saying things are going to be different. And they are slightly. And when I try to weigh, when I try to weigh things that I spend money for and the needs that exist in this world, I just realize that I'm still messed up quite a bit with money. So there's this prayer in the Bible that I won't pray. And I don't know that that the Bible is saying that we all should pray it. I'm just saying there's a prayer in the Bible, and it's in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. If you want to thumb, thumb, thumb real quick, you can. Proverbs 30, verse 8. And it's written by a guy whose name is Agur. And Agur says this. He says, grant me this, God, before I die, okay? He says, grant me this request. He goes, give me neither poverty. Now, I like that part of the prayer. Don't let me be poor. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Only give me my daily bread. You want to pray that prayer? Are you okay praying that prayer? God, don't give me food for tomorrow. Just give me food for today. I don't want a 401k. I don't want any savings accounts or anything like that. Give me neither poverty nor give me riches. Just give me enough food for today. You okay to pray that prayer? Because, he says, if you give me riches and I have too much... I may forget you and say, who is the Lord? I may become so wrapped up in what I have and so dependent on my riches that I even forget who you are. Or if I become poor, I may steal from someone and dishonor the name of my God. So don't give me riches and don't give me poverty. Just give me enough food for today. I've never prayed that prayer. Do you know what I think is behind that prayer? I think it's a guy trying to find balance. And I think he's messing with this right here. What is at the center of my life? 
And how in the world am I in this world but not of this world? And how do I juggle this whole concept of possessions and wealth and money and keep God at the very center of my life? So, so when you read this parable, it, it sounds like this to me when I read it. Um, what will I do? <laughs> um, I don't have anywhere to store all of my grain. Uh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And then I will store all of my grain. There's a lot of eyes and mys in there. So what about God? And, and, and what about others? And did he ever stop to think that maybe God was the one who gave him this great increase? And maybe God gave me the great increase so I could maybe share it with some people who didn't have increase. And maybe it wasn't all about me just getting more stuff so I could build bigger barns and store more stuff so I would have stuff beyond what I needed. But maybe God was giving me more stuff so I could maybe give some of my stuff to people who needed some stuff. When we moved to Oklahoma City, one of the first things that we saw when we saw downtown was this Devon Tower, this this glass building that just dwarfed every other building in the city. To me, it was just like, wow, that's a tall building in light of all the other buildings. 850 feet tall, 50 floors, 1.8 million square feet. You know what it cost? $750 million. Now, this is just me thinking, okay, but that seems like a lot of money for a temporary building. Because that's what it is, a temporary building. It's going to be here a little while, and then one day it'll be gone. And you know what Jesus is saying to this rich man? The only thing that you can see is this present world. And you can't see the world to come. And you're putting all of your energy and all of your focus into this present world. And you're not thinking about the world to come. And so if a person is all about possessions and that's all their life is about when they die, they have nothing. Okay, a little inspiration maybe, okay? So I was over at SNU a few weeks ago and I heard this guy speak whose name is Kevin Myers. He pastors a church in Georgia called Twelve Stones Crossing. And he said we planted our church like 25 years ago. And he said, the opening day of our church, we had 104 people come. And he said, I was devastated. I was wanting 400. He said, I should have been elated because the next three or four years, we only had 40 people come. So that would have been really good, 104. But I didn't know that. I just thought I wanted 400 and I only had 104. And for the next four years, we only had about 40 people coming to church on Sundays. He says, I remember our church after about four or five years begins to grow a little bit. And now it's many thousands of people. But he said, as we begin to grow a little bit, I begin to look for property. And he said, one day I was driving and there's where these two interstates connect in Atlanta. There was this piece of property up on the hill and I thought, wow, 
How many people will drive by that piece of property? There was a house on the property. People lived there. And he said, I thought to myself, that would be a great place for a church. I thought about it every time I drove by that intersection of interstates. Wow, what a great place for a church. He said, I remember one day I went to play golf with a guy in my church. And he says, hey, I brought a friend. That's him over there. He's getting out of his car. And I thought to myself, I don't want you to bring a friend. I just wanted to play golf and relax. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be, you know, talking to somebody that I don't know. But I walked over, I introduced myself to the guy. And I said, so are you from around here? You live around here? And he goes, well, you know where those two interstates connect, intersect? There's a house on the hill. That's my house. And he said, it just came out of my mouth. I just said, that would be a great place for a church. And he says to me, you're right, Kevin. It would be a great place for a church, but you can't afford it. And he said, I said, well, I didn't say I could afford it. I just said it would be a great place for a church. We played golf together. I got to know him a bit. We had breakfast a few times after that. And I continued to remind him that his house, that property would be a great place for a church. He said we were running probably 120 or 30 people by this time. And one night I go to a board meeting and I cast vision. And I say to my board, you know where these two interstates connect? You know that house on the hill? Its value is about a million dollars. Now, this is 20 years ago, 20-some years ago. 120, 30 people in the church. We have no money. I said, I think we should claim that property and ask God for it. And he said, one of my board members, one of my board members, one of my board members does this. He goes, anybody else want some of what the pastor's been smoking? Let me translate that. He was saying that it's as if the pastor has been smoking something that has altered his ability to think straight. He said, I remember about a year later, the guy that owned that house called me and said, Kevin, I want to talk to your leadership about the property. Okay. I know you've always said it'd be a great place for a church. Can I talk with your leadership? Would you put that together? Yeah, we're having a board meeting. You can come. And he says, that man sits down at our table with our little board. And he opens his jacket pocket and he pulls out a deed and he slides it across the table and says, I've decided to give you that piece of property. And Kevin Meyer says, I promise you, I promise you. I said, now does anybody want some of what the pastor's spoken? <laughs> what if the rich guy thought like that? You know what I'm really asking? What if the rich guy thought like that? It's not mine. One of these days I'm going to die and somebody else gets all my stuff. It's all belonging to God. And all I am is a manager. I'm a caretaker as long as I'm in this world. And I just want to do with it what I think God would want me to do with it. What if the rich guy thought like that? What if that's how we saw money? 
What if that's why we saw possessions? Because if that's how we see possessions, guess who is at the center stage? It's a man with a cross walking up a hill. And all of a sudden we realize, who knew? That's where you find security. And that's where you find contentment. And that's where you find satisfaction. Who knew? I thought it was stuff. It's when you follow Him that you find all of those things. Amen. Amen. Are you messed up when it comes to money and possessions? Like your pastor? You work in progress? You making any? Not money, progress. You need help? You need grace? Someone is here to give us grace and help, and it's Jesus. And so we're going to have communion together. And so those of you who are going to serve us, would you come now? In the moment that you eat the bread and that you drink the drink, are you listening to me? In the moment that you eat the bread and you drink the drink, you receive in that moment the grace and the help of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And in that moment, He comes by our side and He helps us. And so let's let Him help us this morning. Let's open our hearts to Him. In our church, we practice open communion. You do not have to be a member of our church to receive the elements with us. It's not what is important. What really is important is that you're sincere and that you're truly seeking Jesus. And if you would say to me this morning, Rick, I'm really not, then it's okay to let the elements pass you. Don't feel obligated to partake of them, okay? Just let them go by. But if you're truly seeking Jesus, would you receive them? So if you will stand with me at this time, we're going to sing together. After everybody has been served, would you hold them in your hands? After everybody has been served, would you hold them in your hands and we will eat and drink in a moment together, okay? Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on that cross Accused in absence of wrong Sin washed away in your blood Too much to make sense of it all I know that your love breaks my fall Scandal of grace, you died in my place, my soul will live. Oh, to be like, give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. dead as my sin the cross has taught me to live 
mercy in my heart now to sing. The day and its troubles will come. I know that your strength is enough. The scandal of grace, you died in my place. So we'll live oh, to be like give all I have just to know Jesus there's no one beside forever the hope in my And it's all, and it's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of your love and my soul will live. Oh, to be like you, give all I have. Just to know you, Jesus. There's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. So Jesus was with his disciples, and he took the cup, and he said, "Well, your pastor is a little off base." He took the bread and he broke it, and he said, "This is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it, all of you." Then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you for grace. And thank you for help. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.